0: let's turn your Bibles again to 1 Chronicles 17. Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask, the Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here in person, for those that are watching on live stream. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, that you'd be with Tom and Nathalie. I saw them on live stream already in Hawaii and Arizona. What a blessing that Uh, we have in just the ability to watch from far away, and even though they're far away from us, they're part of our family, as are everyone else watching online. So bless our time in your Word tonight. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. I pray that man would decrease, your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. So Chronicles, as we know, is a letter written by the chronicler to the children of Israel who were returning to Israel after 70 years in bondage in Babylon. And so now they're coming home and they're being given a history lesson to remind them of all that had taken place in Israel before and to draw them back into that place of worshiping God in the place where God called them to worship. And so in 1 Chronicles, the main focus as far as if it was a person, it's King David. When we get to Second Chronicles, it's going to be Solomon. In First Chronicles, we'll see some added information we didn't see in 1 and 2 Samuel or 1 and 2 Kings. Uh, we'll see some added information, but we'll also see some information that's not there. So a lot of what's there is just relevant to prepare those people that are going back into the land of promise, again, back to a place where God had called them as his children to be. Last week, if you were here, I titled the message, The Heart of Worship, and we talked about worship being a choice. It's singing to an audience of one, remembers how good God is and all he has done for us. Worship acknowledges the greatness of God and worship should be filled with joy. We talked about the fact that worship should be evident in the heart of a spiritually mature believer. If you love the Lord, you're going to want to worship, amen? Amen. And if you don't like worship, you're not going to like heaven, Amen? Because we're going to worship in heaven. We're all going to love heaven. That's going to be way better than we think. We also see that true worship comes from a heart of thanksgiving. Worship remembers the promises of God. We'll see some more of that tonight. Worship rests in God's protection upon us. When we worship the Lord, we're proclaiming His greatness to a lost and dying world. If we don't worship, creation will cry out. And worship, we celebrate God's faithfulness. And worship is continual. It never stops. So tonight... We're going to, King David now is firmly entrenched. Uh, This is the reminder to the people that are coming of when King David became the king. And now he's actually ruling over all of Israel. After only seven years, he was ruling over only Judah. Now they've all been combined together as one nation. We know that there's already been a palace built for him by uh, the, the king of Tyre, Hiram, who came and built a palace for David. Then we saw last week, David talking about the heart of worship. And now here we're going to see King David learning to trust in the promises of God. And this is something great for all of us that we need to be reminded of. So if you have your outline, grab it. I tell the message, living every day in the light of God's promises. So because God's made promises, by the way, aren't we thankful that God made promises? Amen? And are we thankful, especially right now? I talk to a lot of people that are very concerned and very burdened and very you know, anxious and even fearful. And, and what I always tell them is take your eyes off the waves and keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. God is in control. God is faithful. We read the end of the book. God wins. Amen. When I was, when I was younger, when I was a youth pastor, I used to um, have one of the youth night, one of, actually the prison was on, during Monday night football. And I would come home and watch, this is back when you had v, VHS. Remember that? You had to rewind it, right? And what was amazing is if somebody told me to score, even if my my team won and I knew it and they were down by two touchdowns, I didn't worry about it. Because I already know the final end and I know that before this is over, they're going to come back and win the game. So I'm not worried even if they fumble the ball. Guys, we know the end. God wins. Amen? So we don't need to panic if it looks like right now, that the world is winning, or that the enemy is winning, or the things that are going on around us. And the Bible prophesied it was all coming. So guys, let's trust in the promises of God and not be fearful of the ways of man. Amen? Now, here are the six points for tonight. Living every day in light of God's promises. First of all, seek godly counsel. The greatest counsel comes directly from the Lord through his word. By the way, that's the first place you should turn for counsel. Open your Bible read the book, don't wait for the movie. Almighty God wrote it down for you. He gave you the Holy Spirit so you'll understand it. That should be the first place you turn. But we also seek godly counsel from spiritually mature believers. And even then we check it against the word of God. People will make outlandish statements and we need to go read the Bible. And if it doesn't agree with God's word, it's not the truth. Amen. And as a pastor, I get people with words of knowledge for me all the time and words of wisdom. I got a word for you, pastor. I got a word. And they come and give me a word and it's nonsense. (laughs) Amen. I mean, just straight up nonsense. The Lord told me, I had one guy come to Santa Cruz, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to come and be the senior pastor and you're supposed to assist me. I said, when the Lord lets me know, I'll call you. Can I get an amen to that? Or they'll give you some outlandish statement and you're like, where did that come from? Guys, we don't. We don't listen to the words of men above the word of God. Amen? Now we seek godly counsel. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. We walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen? We don't need to hear from Dr. Phil or 1-900 Psychic or my coworker at work that doesn't know Jesus. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So if you don't fear God, you don't have any wisdom. Amen? So we need to Seek godly counsel. Don't be moved by fleshly desires, but be led by the Holy Spirit. Number two, when God says no, who likes that? When God says no, does God say no sometimes? What's the answer? But when He says no, it's what's best for you. Is God smarter than us? What's the answer? So is he, he has wisdom. He knows what's best for us. He's already seen the, the end, He knows what's coming. And when he says no, it's because it's what's best for us. It's not always because what we intend to do is wrong or bad. Sometimes we desire something that is godly. We're going to see that in tonight's text. David wants to do something that is honoring to the Lord. So much so that the prophet at the time, Nathan, actually tells him to go do it. And then God corrects him, and he has to go back and tell David, yeah, not so much. Because when Nathan first hears it, he thinks, well, that's a good thing that he desires to do. You know, somebody comes up and says, I want to build an orphanage. Well, that sounds like a great idea. I want to start a, you know, a a Bible study in my house, whatever it is, something that's good and holy and godly. But you know what? In some cases, God says, well, yeah, that's a good thing, but we need to know, we need to move in God's will, God's way, in God's timing with God's man or woman that's called to do it. Amen? And that's exactly what's going to take place with King David. He's going to want to rebuild the palace. He's going to rebuild the temple. He wants a temple for the Lord. As we're going to see in tonight's text, he lives in a beautiful palace and the Lord's in a tent, the, you know, the ark's in a tent, God's presence. And he wants to do something that is honoring to the Lord, but God's going to say, no, it's not his timing. He's not the one to do it. It's going to be his son instead. Sometimes we pray for God's will. It is just not God's time. And maybe we're not God's man or woman to do it. Number three, remember all that God has done for you, God, done, as God, God has done in you and through you. You know, one of the greatest promises and one of the greatest things we need to remember is who we were before we met Jesus. And, that, and then we met Jesus and who we are now. And guys, that ought to be radically different. Amen? Before you knew the Lord, life was hopeless and helpless. And you know what? People that are afraid, if you don't know the Lord, you should be afraid. But if you know the Lord, we don't have to be afraid. God's not giving us a spirit of fear. But the greatest thing that we have, one of the greatest things that we have is, this is what Jesus did in my life. And by the way, if you don't know how to share your faith, you can all share that. And we want to equip you to be able to share your faith better, but you can all say, you know what? Before I met Jesus, this was my life. Then I met Jesus, and this is who I am now. And that's our testimony, amen? And that's living every day in the light of God's promises, being reminded that all that God has already done means that we can trust that God's going to continue to do it. Look at point four. God's faithfulness in the past assures us of God's promises for the future. Every promise that God made in the old covenant, he's fulfilled them all. There's still a few that are coming, right? But, but we see him fulfilling his promises over and over and over and over and over again. And because we know he's faithful to his word and has always been in the past, we can trust that he'll be faithful in the future. There's such peace in the promises of God and what the Lord has for us is so much better than what we desire for ourselves. We get disappointed sometimes when we don't get what we want, when God says no, and we may even murmur against God. But here's what I want you to know. He's a good, good father, amen? And he knows what's best for us and he's gonna protect us from less than his highest if we will let him. Number five, come humbly before the Lord. You know, when we approach God, We never approach him making demands of him. One of the few things that, there's few things that make me sicker than when I see someone on television or I hear somebody in a service telling God what he needs to do. uh, No. Amen? We're all idiots compared to God. Amen? And you'll have people make demands of God. God, you have to, and I demand that you, and I call you, and I command that you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We come humbly and broken before the creator of the universe. Amen. Oh Lord, your will be done. Not my will, but your will. We're not trying to get God to change his mind. We're trying to get, we, want, we want God to change our hearts, to align our hearts with him. Amen. To mold us more into the image of our savior. We come humbly before you, the Lord. The Bible tells us, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all, to submit, Fully to the Lord, even when he says no, even in the midst of great trials. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. If your faith wavers because you go through difficulties and trials, it's just revealing where your faith was all along. Lord, help us to respond the way David did, even when you said no. And then finally, humbly affirm God's promises. Now, there is praying God's promises. We'll see this at the end of the text tonight, that we pray In agreement with the promises of God, one of the prayers, you know, the Lord tells us, "Raise up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it." Lord, I pray that for my kids. I don't make demands of God. I don't command that He do does anything. But I, you can pray the promises of God, and so we don't, you know, claim the promises of God. I hate that word, by the way. Claim it. I don't claim it. What do we do? We just pray and say, "Lord, I believe." what your word says. Thank you for the promise in your word that you will provide. You're Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. I'm out of work right now, but I know you're going to provide. And Lord, I trust you and I believe that you will provide and help me to be faithful, to use my hands and feet that you might provide for me. Does that make sense? Amen? So we pray according to what the word of God has already told us is true, but we continue to pray for it. So let's begin there, living every day in light of God's promises. First, we're going to see, seek Godly counsel. Look what it says there in verses one and two. Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan, the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent, is under tent curtains. So David again is now king. His enemies at this point are all defeated. There's going to be more enemies coming. He no longer is on the run from Saul because Saul is dead. Jerusalem has been established as the capital of all of Israel. David has respect and recognition from the people as the ruler over the nation. No one's denying that anymore. Before, uh, you know, S- Saul's uh, son was king of, of, the, of, of Israel while he was king of Judah. But now it's fully united and everybody recognizes him as king. He has a magnificent palace. We saw that in chapter 13 that Hiram came and he brought the best wood and the best craftsmen, and he built this beautiful palace for David. And we know that he had multiple houses. Why did he have to have multiple houses? He had had multiple wives. Bad idea. (laughs) Amen. But he had multiple houses. And so everything from his perspective is he's on the throne. God's on the throne ultimately, but he's the king of Israel. And And there's, you know, the enemies are at bay and God is in control. And at the same time, having observed all that the Lord has done, all that God had blessed him with and the calling that God had placed upon his life as the anointed king, he wanted to do God's will and he seeks godly counsel. So he goes to Nathan. Now, we know a lot about Nathan from scripture and Nathan, uh, first of all, he was used in David's life a lot of ways. We know that he was a historian. Nathan wrote a book that chronicled the history of David and Solomon's reign. In 1 Chronicles 29, it says, Now the acts of David the king, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, the book of Nathan the prophet, and the book of Gad the seer. So there was books written about the history of who David was that we don't see in Scripture. And then it says in 1 Chronicles 9, or 2 Chronicles 9, Now the acts of Solomon... First and last, they are not written. Are they not written in the book of Nathan the prophet? So he was a historian. He wrote things down that were given to the children of Israel to help them. He was God spoken, a spokesman. When they set up national worship, the temple, the organization, God used Nathan to guide David. It says in Second Chronicles twenty nine, and he Hezekiah set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and psalteries and harps according to the commandment of David and Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. But Nathan also did something else in David's life, and it's the one that we all remember, or most of us do. What did he do? He called out David for his sin. And see, this is the kind of prophet, this is the kind of Of spiritual leader that we need. Not just someone who's an historian, not just someone who comes to encourage you, but also somebody who loves you enough to come and rebuke you when you need to be rebuked. Amen? And we have too many people that are scared to death to do that because they're more fearful of men than they are desiring to be faithful to God. And somebody who loves you will rebuke you when you need it. Amen? So what happens? We know that David, he gets lax. Instead of fighting the battle, he's sleeping in in noonday sun. He comes out in the you know, middle of the afternoon he, because of his beautiful palace that Hiram built him. He's high above everyone else, and he looks down, and he sees this beautiful woman bathing on, the, on her rooftop, and he wants her. And because he's the king, I guess he can get what he wants. So he calls for her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. He sends her home. And now he's in trouble because what's he going to do? So he calls for her husband, Uriah the Hittite, brings him home. So he will go in and be with his wife, and then he will think that his wife is pregnant because he came home and was with her. But Uriah was a godly man, and he did not feel like he could enjoy the comfort of his wife while everyone else was fighting, so he slept outside. And then David got upset. So David writes a note, gives it to Uriah to take back to the general Pastor Dave paraphrased, but he basically says, put him on the front so he'll die. Just put him out front where he can't can't survive, because i got to get rid of this guy. And this is what sin does. The sin of adultery had to be covered with the sin of murder. And David may have thought he was getting away with it, because after Uriah died, he took Bathsheba as his wife. Now she's pregnant. It all could seem legit, although he had already had several wives, so it's not. But then Nathan comes to him. And tells the story of a poor man and a wealthy man. This is paraphrased. He basically says, one man has all these sheep, and one man has one little lamb. And the man that had all these sheep comes and takes the other little lamb from the poor man and took it for his own. And David gets fired up. Like, how dare he do that? And he's basically saying, you need to go get that man. (laughs) He starts wanting righteous judgment. And then Nathan looks at David and says, thou art the man. I'm talking about you, David. You have everything the world has to offer. You have multiple wives, and you took this faithful, godly man's wife away. You stole him from her. And Nathan basically tells him, you're done, man. You're, you're worthy of righteous judgment. And we know that righteous judgment came, because that, what happened to that child? What happened to that child? Died. Because of the sins of the father. Now that child's in heaven, praise God, amen. But the point is that Nathan was that guy. Nathan was willing to come alongside and encourage David. He was willing to be a historian and write down all the things of David's life, but he was also a godly man that was not afraid to come up to David and call him out on his sinful behavior. And we all need people like that in our lives. Amen? Toward the end of David's life, one of David's sons, Adonijah, decided to make himself king. And Nathan took the initiative to inform David and Bathsheba to help them in making Solomon king. So he was a historian. He was God's spokesman. He was willing to reprove David, but he was also loyal to David. He was a man that was on his side. He was a man that was for him. Isn't it good to know that God is on your side? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? You plus God is a majority. The whole world can be against you, but if God is for you, you're on the right side. Amen? You plus God. It's good to get godly counsel, especially from someone who is spiritually mature, who will be faithful to tell you the truth, not just what you want to hear. By the way, you can always find somebody who will tell you what you want to hear. If you go ask enough people, you'll find somebody who says, yeah, you're right, you should leave your wife for that other woman. Your wife's not wrong. And you'll find that person. You might even find a pastor that'll do that. God needs to get saved, but amen. But the reality is that you, if you look for counsel in enough places, you will find someone who tells you what you want to hear. I get letters all the time asking about it. I got two more this week. People email, I want to hear about your church because I want to make sure it's a good fit for us. And I already know if they're writing that. Probably not. Amen. Well, are you, are you LGBTQ plus affirming? No. We love everybody, but no. Amen? Do you do that? No. How long is your service? An hour and a half? <laughs> yeah. We teach the Bible. Can I get an amen? But the point I'm making is that if you look far enough, there's drive-through church. You can never leave your car. You pull up to the photo map, They give you a three-minute message, throw you a wafer, and on the way you go. Amen? But the reality is that if you look for the answer you want... You will find somebody who will give it to you. But if you want godly counsel, find somebody who is spiritually mature, who loves you enough to tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. Amen? Amen. And that's what we all need. We all need godly counsel. I know I do. Today we have the completed revelation of God's word. You'll notice in the Old Testament, they they ran to prophets more than we do now because they didn't have the completed revelation. We do. Amen. We got a handful of prophets on the way home. We can open this up anywhere and any time and read what the word of God says. Now, again, there's still wisdom in the counsel of many. That's still a New Testament truth. Maybe you don't understand the word well enough. Maybe you're newer in your faith. Maybe it's a question that you know you don't, you don't really understand. What should I do? And it's good to seek godly counsel, but make sure whatever counsel you get lines up with this. Amen? Because if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it is not godly counsel. So while we seek godly counsel, remember the plumb line for truth is God's word. Now, notice what he says I dwell in a house of cedar. Now, in those days, that was as good as it got. It was the best wood, it was brought from a far distance, and his entire house was built in the best building material of the time. And so he has this beautiful house. And David's walking into this beautiful many houses and this beautiful palace. And then he looks out his window and he sees this little tent with the Ark of the Covenant in it. And he's like, that's horrible. How can I, how, why should I have a better house than the presence of Almighty God? Why should I have a better place than the Lord has? And so he's convicted and he wants to do something about it. And that's why he goes to seek out Nathan's advice. Again, David's no longer in caves, he's no longer on the run, he's richly blessed, and it bothered him that he dwelt in a better place than the ark did, that the place of worship and a symbol of God's presence was a meager tent. Why should I live in a place that is so much better than I deserve and the ark of the Lord being a place that is far below what he deserves, what the Lord deserves? So he says there to Nathan, I dwell, but the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. So he hasn't really asked the question directly, but Nathan understands what he's saying. Hey, Nathan, I don't get it. I I got this beautiful palace. I've got multiple homes. There's a tent out there for the Ark. So doesn't that sound like a good thing that he wants to do? What's the answer? It's a good thing. I, I want to I build, build something proper for the ark. I want to build something proper for the worship of the Lord. I want to give something that, that will glorify and honor the Lord. That sounds good. But even a man of God can speak too quickly sometimes. Look what it says here in verse 2. That Nathan said to David, do all that's in your heart, for God is with you. Now, Nathan loves the Lord, but Nathan was not perfect either. Amen? And he's not really giving false prophecy in the sense, he's not telling him to do something ungodly. He just thinks, well, that's a godly thing that he wants to do, so I'm just gonna give him a quick answer. What we don't see Nathan doing is praying. And we don't see Nathan seeking the Lord. He just says, well, that sounds pretty good, go do it. And sometimes we can fall into that same trap. Well, it sounds good. I mean, it's honoring to the Lord. We should just go do it. Well, make sure you hear from the Lord. One of the things I was told before I planted the church in Santa Cruz, and I took it to heart when we planted the church here, Don McClure said, Dave, you need to know that you 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 know that God's telling you to go to Santa Cruz. He said, because if you don't, you will get there, and you will have a problem, and then you will have two problems. The problem will be the problem you're facing, and it's coming, church planting's never easy, and then you're gonna say, well, maybe God didn't even want me to be here. But see, if you know that God sent you, the problems are God's problems because he's the one that sent you, amen? So we need to know that we've heard from the Lord. It's not just a good idea because sometimes a good idea is not God's highest for you. It's not God's plan for your life. My wife, she's kind of backed away from it now, but for a while, like every other month, she'd say, I think the Lord wants us to go to Colorado. Well, all our grandkids are. And where my son-in-law is a pastor, and he needs some help, and just like your dad came to help you, maybe you should go help Kevin. And I even, this is a couple years ago, I prayed about it, and uh, I talked to a couple of pastor friends of mine, they're like, Pastor Dave, you got way too much gas left in the tank to go be an administrator to some, no, you're not done, and I'm, and you know what, I'm not done, and this is where I'm supposed to be, and I don't plan on, I don't know if I'm ever going to Colorado, I'm going to be here till the Lord comes back, but that's up to him, not me, Amen. But the point is that it sounds good. It'd be great to be around my grandkids. It'd be great to support my son-in-law. It'd be great to see my daughter every day. And now my other son moved there with his son. So now all my grandkids are there. But you know what? It's better to be where God wants you to be than the place that, you know, is easiest or brings you the most comfort. Amen? It's not about being comfortable. It's about being faithful. So without saying the specific words, David tells Nathan he wanted to build a temple to replace the the tabernacle. More than 400 years before, when Israel was in the wilderness, God commanded Moses to build a tent, a meeting, and it needed to be a tent because they kept moving. You can't have a, a building and pack it up and move, but you can have a tent, And they would grab all the poles and grab all the curtains and move, right? They would follow the pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud. They wake up every morning, wherever God's presence was, they moved and got under it. That's a good example for us. We wanna look and see where God is and get right under it, Amen? amen? Find out where He's going and follow Him. And so he's going to Nathan, and Nathan tells him, This is a good idea. Go for it, bro. What you desire is a good thing. It seems good to Nathan, it's honoring unto the Lord. David's heart it's like, what can I do for God? Look, look at all that God's done for me. What can I do for God? And maybe some of you feel that way right now. Like, look, look at all that God's done for me. What can I do for the Lord? I want to encourage you, don't just do what's easy. Spend some time in prayer, seek the Lord, and a burden is a spawning ground of a calling. When God gives a burden to you and you seek the Lord and you spend time in his presence, if you're married, get counsel from your spouse, get counsel from other godly people, open up the word of God and know that you know that you know that you know that you know that, you know that you're called to do that. Amen? So here's the exhortation. Nathan's like, go for it, bro. There are times we don't have any clear direction from God, and all we can do is follow our heart if our heart is following the Lord. I've, used, I've given this counsel before, and I, I, think it's, I think it's accurate. Here's what it is. It's, when people don't know what to do, I say, look, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Fall in love with Him. Be in worship. Be in the Word. Walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and then do what you want. You know why? Because when you're doing all that, you know what happens? You want what God wants. Your heart is knit to His heart. Amen? And so, and often it'll be the thing that your flesh wouldn't want anything to do with. It'll take you out of your comfort zone. And that's what God's desiring to do in all of our lives. I think sometimes we spend so much time analyzing our decisions that. Again, we need to wait upon the Lord. We need to hear from the Lord. We want to move in God's timing, but we don't want to have analysis paralysis. Amen? Well, we're just forever. For 15 years, I'm trying to figure out what ministry I'm supposed to be in, right? And, and God wants to use you for his kingdom and his glory. It says in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it will be done for you. That's not us having such great faith that we can tell God, Cadillac, Cadillac. That's not what that means. It's saying that if you're abiding in the Lord, you're going to want what he wants. You're going to desire the things that he desires. Amen? And I encourage all of us. Jesus promised us that if we abided in him and his word was in us, we could ask whatever we wanted because we would be asking according to his will. Your heart can be pretty dangerous. It says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is why when people start off the sentence with, well, I just feel. (laughs) I just feel. I just feel. It's just a feeling I have. It's just my gut. I'm just going with my gut. Uh, No, your gut is your flesh. Amen. And we don't go by our feelings. How's that working out right now, by the way? I feel like I'm a zebra. So I am going to identify as a zebra, and you have to call me a zebra. I mean, that's common, isn't it? Amen. I identify as this. This is what I feel. This is what I think. Your feelings lie to you all the time. Amen? But I feel this way guys, we need to go beyond feelings and walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We need to stay in God's word. Our heart is wicked, it's tricky, and we need to be extra careful if we intend to go with our heart. That's why we need to abide in Jesus. We need to stay in God's word. Hebrews 4 says this, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing, or t- piercing even dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the what? the heart. If you want to know that your heart is in the right place, compare it to what the Word of God says. Open up your Bible and read it. Does it align with the Word of God? Too often, we try to manipulate God, which is so stupid. And what I mean by that is, oh, I met this girl, she's so beautiful. Or I met this guy and he's the one that I've been waiting for. And then we try to manipulate God into somehow making this person more spiritually mature than they really are and trying to manipulate God to get what our flesh wants. And by the way, when you do that, it's a disaster. What God has for you is always better than what your flesh wants, amen? And you learn to trust him. There are times when we lack God's direction in a given situation We've prayed, but no answer. It's okay for abiding in the Lord and his word, again, to wait upon the Lord. Here's what I tell people all the time. If God hasn't directed you to do something else, stay faithful right where you are until he tells you. He brought you here. Stay here until he tells you what's next. Amen. Be faithful right where you are. If I ever leave this city or this church, God will have to write it on the wall. I'm just telling you. Why? Because I know I'm supposed to be here. And whatever God's called you to do, you, be, you keep being faithful to do what God has called you to do. Amen? Quit looking for what's next. So point number one there, seek godly counsel. The greatest counsel comes directly from the Lord and his word. And don't be moved by fleshly desires, but be led by the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. So if you're confused, it's not the Holy Spirit. Amen? Someone says, I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. Then don't do anything because you're confused and that's not the Lord. Amen? See godly counsel, open up the word. Point number two, when God says no, oh, what happens? So Nathan says, go for it, David. And David, no doubt, is excited. David's like, I'm going to do something for the Lord. I'm excited. This is what God, I I asked Nathan, I sought godly counsel. I got, got godly counsel to go for it. Praise God, verse three. But it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan saying, so see, Nathan did not seek the Lord before giving the counsel. And so what happens? The Lord shows up and he's going to straighten Nathan out. Hey, Nathan, come here, bro. Let me me clue you in, bro. No. Did you ask what I thought? Did you seek my counsel? Did Did you pray? Did you get on your knees? The word of the Lord came to Nathan. Nathan's response to David was presumptuous. He answered according to human judgment and common sense, but before the word of God came to him, before he heard from the Lord, and for us today, before you open up the word of God. We need to read what the Bible says. We can seek godly counsel. We have to complete a revelation of God's word. It's of utmost importance that we should always test our desires, even our holiest and highest of them, by his will. We should never allow just our fleshly desires or something that we think is a good idea to overrule what the word of God tells us. The word of God is always right. And you're always wrong if you disagree with it. Amen? So we seek godly counsel. Above all, we seek the Lord, his word, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't know what to do, stay right where you are until you do. So God gets a hold of Nathan, comes to him at night. He's going to correct him. And Here's what happens in verse 4. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. That's pretty direct, isn't it? David, I love your heart, bro. You're not called to do that. Who is going to be called to do that? Who knows? Solomon, his son. And and David is going to find out later why he was not allowed to do it. Who remembers? Too much blood on his hands. Because he killed Uriah. Because of his bloodshed, he said, I don't want blood-stained hands to build my, my temple. So at this moment, he doesn't know. And he's not going to know for a while. And you know, sometimes when God tells us no, we don't know why. Amen? Well, it just seems so perfect to me. I don't know why. I, you know, well, God, are you, are you asleep at the switch, Lord? This looks pretty good. Why, what are you doing to me here? And then you, get, you go down six months or a year or two years, you go, oh, praise the Lord for that. Amen? Pastor Chuck's in heaven now, but he used to tell this story at the senior pastor's conference every once while he'd say, he'd say, I remember how in love I was with this woman. And when I was in seminary, there there were Bible colleges there. And I, I met this girl and I was, I just fell head over heels in love with her. And I just knew this was the woman God had for me. And I would pray that God would allow me to marry her. God said, no. God said no, and I was mad at God. I was disappointed. Well, because then I met my wife, Kay, and of course, I was so blessed because she was... And he goes, then I went back to the reunion, and I saw the way that woman was treating her husband, and I said, thank you, Jesus, for not, <laughs> for not listening to me, amen? And the reality is that sometimes we think we know better than God, but we need to wait upon the Lord, amen? Because when he says no, he knows what's best. And David's going to still contribute to the building of the temple He's going to supply the plans for it. He's going to supply all the, the supplies that are going to be needed to build it. And his son's going to be the one to build it. But it's not going to be what he initially wanted. When God says no, it's not always because what we intend to do is wrong or bad. Building a temple for the Lord isn't wrong. Building a temple for God is a good thing. But sometimes it's not you that's supposed to do it. Sometimes God's got someone else he wants to use. In fact, David's son, again, would be the one who would build it. Later in Israel's history, God would rebuke the people with very much the same words. He would say this, Isn't it time for yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while the Lord lives, lies desolate? See, he, he agrees that there should be a permanent place for his ark and his presence to dwell. But it wasn't that time and it wasn't in that place that God desired it. And again, later we know that God would tell David why he could not build the temple. Verse 5, For I have not dwelt in a house since the time I brought up Israel, even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. I love that God's presence is comfortable in tents because that's what we are. Amen? We're not temples, we're tents. Amen? We're temporary. We only live in this for a moment. And you know what? The Lord loves dwelling in these tents. Amen. And can we praise God for that? You know, what's amazing is we, we're, we, we're not happy with how we look sometimes or, you know, we try to compare ourselves to other people, which by the way, who cares? But man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. And you know the most attractive thing there is? Having the Lord living inside of you. Amen. Having somebody who walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What a blessing. What a joy that is. Amen. You love to hang around people like that people to get saved real good, as my dad used to say. David wanted to do God's will. The house would be built. Just not then, just not by David. God's will, by God's man, and God's perfect timing. And again, it must have surprised David. And God was, you know, like, hey, yeah, I, I understand, but I've dwelt in tents. I don't need a fancy place. By the way, this is only home temporarily, amen. David wanted to do more than God commanded. And there is a wonderful place to be in a relationship with God. Most of us, so many Christians are stuck with, how little can I do and still go to heaven? (laughs) You know, how much can I be like the world and still have the get out of hell free card in my wallet? You know, what can I do? Guys, our prayer ought to be, I want to be closer to God tomorrow than I am today and I never want to be satisfied with how close I am to him. I want to always desire to be at even closer. Amen? It's it's that intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. We are the bride of Christ. We should desire to walk closely with him above all else. And then he says here in verse 6, wherever I have moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel who I commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not made me a house of cedars? I didn't ask for a house of cedar. I hadn't even been looking for one. I've been moving about with the children of Israel and God's plan is going to be a temple and it's going, uh, it's going, the ta- temple's coming and God's going to have it created, but he's never asked for it. He's not seeking it at this time and David's not the right man. And again, it, it's hard when you want to do so much for God sometimes, and God says no. David didn't respond by doing nothing. Instead of building the temple, David gathered all the materials and it's for the construction so Solomon could build it. We'll see that in 1 Chronicles 29. He doesn't just go, oh, I can't do what I want to do, then I'm going to just do nothing. And that's what some Christians do sometimes, Amen. Oh, I can't be on the worship team. I'm not serving the children's ministry. I'm not doing that. You know, I can't do what I want to do, then I'm going to do nothing. If they don't recognize how gifted I am, then I, yeah, well, if you think that, you get to in in Jesus' name. Amen. But the reality is that we can fall into that trap where we want something that isn't God's will. And then when God doesn't give us what our flesh wants, we, you know, we kind of check out on God. I've shared this before. I don't use his name, so it's okay. But there was a guy who came to me one time who went to the church in Santa Cruz, and I had just ordained, we had just ordained our children's ministry guy. And he was very gifted with the kids, and he was just the biggest servant around, wonderful guy. And this guy says, I want to go to lunch with you after church. We go to lunch after church, and he looks across the table at me and says, you're keeping me from God's highest because you're not recognizing that I'm the most gifted teacher in the whole church and I should be the one that you ordained today instead of ordaining that other guy. And I was sitting at the table going, oh, wow, okay. And he said, I think you're threatened by me because I'm a better Bible teacher than you. I said, well, I hope you are. That would be great. I said, but let me clue you in. If we ordained 100 people, you wouldn't be on that list. And let me tell you why. Because you don't, know, you don't have the heart of a servant. I've never seen you put away a chair. I've never seen you talk to anybody. I've never seen you minister to anyone. You show up late, you leave early, and the only time you go to the men's study is when you're teaching because you feel like we're all just blessed to be in your presence. So guess what? 15 qualifications for a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter three. One speaks of gifting, 14 speak of character, and you don't have any godly character. Ooh, he's like, well, how dare you? I said, I didn't start this conversation. (laughs) Love you enough to tell you the truth. Two of my assistant pastors were mad at me. He's such a gifted teacher. I said, you gotta look past just the gifting and look at the character. Not two months later, he left his wife or his high school girlfriend and moved away and left his family. Guys, we need to, God is the one who calls people, not us, amen? And when when you strive for something and you don't get what you want and then you get angry and bitter, that's more proof that you're not called, amen? Because if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you learn to be the servant of all. When people would come to Costa Mesa and ask to be in ministry, you know where Chuck took them? To the broom closet. he'd open the door and say, there's a bucket, there's a broom, there's a vacuum. You can start off by cleaning the sanctuary. And most guys leave. But if someone's got the heart of a servant, I'll mop floors for Jesus and it's a get to. Amen? And so David's, you know, he, he's not going to just give up what is he going to do as we get, you know, 12 chapters away? He's going to gather up them all the materials. He still wants to be faithful to serve the Lord, even though God said no. He doesn't just take his ball and go home. He doesn't just go and cry and say, I didn't get what I wanted and pout. The enemy would love nothing more than for believers who don't get what they want in the time they wanted to just check out to sit on the sidelines and do nothing, to take their ball and go home, to to not get it, you know, again, not getting God to do our will, our way in our time, but us to do God's will, God's way in his time, amen? We're not trying to manipulate God into doing what we want. And again, if God is for us, who can be against us? So when God says no, it's not always because that what we want to do is wrong or bad, but sometimes what we pray for It's God's will. It's just not God's time. Maybe it's not me that's supposed to do it. Maybe somebody else is supposed to do it. And we need to learn that God knows best and we can trust him. And you just be faithful to serve right where you are. Amen? Amen. Point number three. Remember all that God has done in you and through you. Look at verse 7. It says there, Now therefore... "'Thus shall you say to my servant David, "'Thus says the Lord of hosts, "'I took you from the sheepfold, "'from following the sheep, "'to being ruler over my people. "'And I have been with you wherever you have gone, "'and I've cut off your enemies from before you "'and made your name like the name of a great man, "'great men who are on the earth. "'Moreover,' I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them and they may dwell in the place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously since time, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. Also, I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. Now, the first thing he says is, hey, David, I know you might be discouraged right now. Let me remind you, you used to be a shepherd. Not only were you the shepherd, but you were the youngest. You had older brothers. I think it was eight brothers, right? I think it was eight total. And, and, And you were so lowly that when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, your dad didn't even call you in out of the field. He left you out there. And shepherd is the lowliest job that you can get in those days. Because what does shepherd do? They sit out there and watch sheep. By the way, sheep are stupid. Amen? And I don't think it's surprising that God calls us sheep. Have you ever seen the, there's a video where this guy gets his sheep out of a hole? You've seen this on YouTube or whatever? And it takes forever and he digs the sheep out of a hole and he finally rescues it and he sets it down it takes three steps and jumps right back in the hole again. It's not what sheep do? But here, you're watching sheep. It's something that nobody else wants to do. It's the lowest job in the totem pole. And not only that, you risk your life doing it. Because if an animal comes to kill the sheep, you have to lay down your life. And you're laying down your life when nobody's watching. There's no audience to cheer you on. you got a dangerous job that is thankless, that is worthless, that nobody else wants. And you're considered low on the totem pole. If you're a shepherd, I love that the angels appeared to the shepherds first when Jesus was born. Amen. He goes to the lowly. And so often they would hire somebody just to watch their sheep. So David, remember you were a shepherd, bro. You were out watching over sheep when nobody else was around. But you know what's great about when David was a shepherd? David was a faithful shepherd and God was preparing him when he had no way of knowing to be a faithful king. Amen? Whatever it is that we're going through is preparation for what God has for us next. Amen? It's all part of God's plan in our lives. It's preparation for the thing that God has for us next. And so he reminds them, you used to be a shepherd. You used to be on the sheepfold. You'd be out there all night watching sheep where everybody else was in town, where everybody else was celebrating. You had the lowest job of all. And by the way, I took you from shepherd, I made you a king. And he's reminding him of the blessings of what God had done in his life. And that's what I get out of this text is we need to be reminded of who we were before we met Jesus and who we are now. We were lost in our trespasses and sins. We were headed to hell and we deserved it. And then Jesus came and the Holy Spirit drew us unto himself and we responded by his grace and we've been born again. We're new creations in Christ. We're citizens of heaven. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's adopted us into his family and we're his kids now. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. This is who we were, but that's not who we are anymore we belong to the Lord now. And so when you get bummed out because it costs $371 to fill up your car with gas. Yeah, exactly. We had a sales meeting this morning on Zoom and he said, he said, I know it's a little thing, but we've got, if you do these three things, we're going to send you a $200 gift card. And I said, I'll get like a quarter tank of gas. That'd be great. Send that to me. But isn't it good to see what God's done in our lives? Why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. You know what's amazing about all this? He didn't choose us because we are good. He chose us because he's good. And he knows you best and he loves you most. He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever thought or done, all the things you're going to do, and he still loves you. That's unconditional love. That's our savior. He's an amazing God. Amen? Amen? And so the next time you're bummed out, just remember how much he paid for you, how valuable you are to God, and who you are in Christ. Remember all that he has done for you. David, you were a shepherd. Now you're a king. you would say to me, you're a lost sinner. Now you're my son. I'm preparing a place for you in heaven right now. I'm going to call you home soon, son. I can't wait for you to be with me forever. Guys, it just doesn't get any better than that. That's the best 401k. Go- By the way, if you have a 401k, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> How about that stock market? Amen. Guys, if you put your faith in anything other than Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. God is faithful, amen? David was a good shepherd in preparation for becoming a good king. And we need to remember all that God has done in us and through us, especially in times of despair. Who you were before you came to know Christ and who you are now. It's a picture of God being for David here and for us Eternally, David, from a shepherd to a a palace, from a sheepfold to a palace, from slaying bears to killing giants and defeating armies. Notice he says there again in verse 8, I have been with you wherever you have gone. Isn't it good to know David didn't always know that the Lord was with him, and we don't always remember that the Lord is with us, but he's always with us. And one of the places that he's with us the most is when we're in the fire. Amen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire. Who was in the fire with them? And every time we go into a fire, the Lord's in it with us, amen? They had to be called out of the fire because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him, amen? It's better to be in the worst trial that this world can hand out to you and know the Lord than have everything the world has to offer. Because you know, when when, uh, Daniel was in the lion's den napping and at total peace, King Darius was in the palace tearing the place down. Because it's better to be in a lion's den with the Lord than in a palace without him. Amen? Amen? And you know what? It's better to have a son that went to heaven at 28 years old and have a broken heart on this planet with the Lord than to have everything the world has to offer Without him, Amen. And heaven's better. The promise of eternal life. Said, so "I made your name like the name of great men on the earth." You know what he's done for us? He's written our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the only place where our name really matters, Amen. It's in the Lamb's Book of Life. People are going to stand before God on Judgment Day. Okay. That's the book you want to be in, Amen you don't know the Lord. Tragic. I don't care how much you had in the world. I don't care what the world, how famous you were, how well-known you were. He then says there in verse 9, I will ordain a place for my people Israel. This is referred to as the David Davidic covenant, like the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, that God promised that the land of Israel would belong to the Jews and the kingdom would belong to David and his descendants. Now, one of the great things about, one of the many things that's amazing about David, one of the incredible blessings he has that isn't mentioned here, what's the greatest blessing of David's life? What is it? Jesus came came through the line of David. The Bible refers to him as the son of, of David. So, David didn't get to build a temple, but through his, through his you know, loins came Solomon, who built the temple, and then as you go further down, came the Savior of the world. Amen? God said, I'm going to bless you forever. The Lord is preparing a place for us. He said, the Lord will build thee a house. Now, he wanted to build God a house, and God says, I'm going to build you a house. You see that at the end of verse 10? Look what it says there. He said, And I will tell the Lord, I I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. Well, Lord, I just want to build you a house. Now I got you. I'm going to build you a house. You know what? We want to do great things for the Lord. And what's he doing for us right now? Preparing what? A house, a place for us. No one fully grasps what that really means, but whatever God's preparing for us in heaven, it's going to blow doors on this place. Amen. I'm looking forward to being in his presence. So David wanted to do something for the Lord, and, and that's a good thing. But you can't outgive God, amen? He wanted to build God a temple, and God said, oh, no, no, I got you. I'm building something for you. I'm preparing a place for you. That's the God that we serve. What a great and awesome God, amen? Number four, God's faithfulness in the past assures us of God's promises in the future. Look at verse 11. It says there, And it shall be when your days are fulfilled. When you must go to be with your fathers, I will set up for your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. See, God had been faithful to bring David from a shepherd to a king. God had been faithful to all the promises that he has made. And now he has a a promise going forward for David that David can trust in because God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. I will set up seed after you. Through you will come the one who will build the temple, but also through you will come the Messiah. Look at verse 12. He says, he shall build me a house and I will establish his throne forever. So after you go to heaven... Your son after you will build the temple that you wanted to build and he will reign forever. Now, we know that uh, the line of Solomon and the line of David goes off track, but again, this is a reference here to the fact that Jesus is coming through them and he will rule and reign forever. Amen? And so he shall build me a house, I will establish his throne, and I will be his father. And he will be my son, it says in the coming verse. Hey, you don't need to worry about your son. David, I got your son. David, I'll take care of your son. I'm going to bless your son. Again, his throne will be established forever. Solomon ruled over David's throne. God's mercies never departed from Solomon, though he sinned. And Solomon built that magnificent temple, referred to as Solomon's temple, one of the great wonders of the world And God's promises to David are all more important because the chronicler wrote about it after the exile. So they, now remember who he's writing to. They're coming back from Babylonian captivity and they're coming back to Jerusalem and they're being reminded of God's plan for the descendants of King David. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. This is his name by which he shall be called the Lord of righteousness. That's in Jeremiah 23, and it's speaking about Jesus, that he's coming through the line of David. I mean, we can think about this, but can you imagine if Almighty God came and told you, Your great, 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 great grandson is going to be the savior of the world. What? (laughs) Amen. We just read it. We just skip by it. But David was a, a flawed man, but he was going to be used mightily. It says in Isaiah 9, for unto us, A child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, upon the throne of David, and over his kingdom, to order it, establish it from that time forward, even forevermore. Again, it's prophesied in Isaiah, it's prophesied in Jeremiah, what God is promising here to David, that through your line, again, the world will be blessed. God didn't want an earthly house built until the spiritual house was promised and established. And the more important house had to come first. He wanted King David to know that I'm going to use your lineage in a mighty way. And that was more important than the building of that physical house. As for David, God's blessing was upon him in a unique way. The New Testament, again, identifies Jesus more with David than any other human ancestor. Always referred to as Hosanna to the son of David, it says in Matthew 21. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, it says in Luke one thirty-two. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright and morning star, it says in Revelation 22. So King David was a flawed man, but he was still used mildly by God. And it just lets us know that God doesn't hide the frailties of its heroes. The word of God doesn't do that, but it shows us that God can take people like us and use us for his glory if we will but let him. Amen? Verse 13, I will be his father, he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from from before him as I took it from him who was before you. Who's he talking about? Who was before David? Saul. He said, I'm not going to take my mercy away from Solomon the way I took it away from the one who was before you, King Saul. Could there be, as parents, could there be a greater promise you know we're going to heaven, but wouldn't it be amazing if God came and said to you, I have special plans for your kids and I'm never going to leave them and I'm going to watch over them and my mercy is always going to be upon them. That's what he's telling David here. Amen. I'd be shouting hallelujah at the top of my lungs. How about you? What a great God. And he says, I will establish him in my house and my kingdom forever and his throne will be established forever according to all these words, according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. So all these t- things were told by Nathan. Nathan has to go back to David. You know, David's you know, mounting up some supplies. He, he's, he's hiring craftsmen, right? And Nathan comes and goes, hey, David, uh, I've got to talk to you for a second. Come here. <laughs> you remember that whole build a tabernacle thing? Not so much. I mean, the temple. Yeah, uh, it ain't gonna be you. I misspoke. Sorry, bro. <laughs> right? Now, again, David could have been bitter, but David's not going to be. David's gonna recognize God's plan and he wants to be a part of it. Then David went in and sat before the Lord. Now, I love this. Now, verse 16, this is point number five come humbly before the Lord. So he comes and tells David, and David's disappointed. David could have been angry with God, mad at God. He could have been shaking his fist at God. But that's what I wanted, Lord. Why won't you let me have it? It's a good thing. Nathan told me it was okay. And now you're taking it away from me. And sometimes people get that way with God. God, I told you what I wanted and it's a good thing. And now you won't let me have it. I'm mad at you. That's not what David does at all. And praise God for it. He's an example for us to follow. It says, and David went in and sat before the Lord and said... Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Instead of being mad at God, he comes humbly before the Lord. More than likely, he went down to the tabernacle that was there and knelt outside where the ark was. And he cries out to the Lord. Instead of being mad at God, he's thankful for God. He's praising God's name. He's saying, Who am I, Lord, that I even get to be your son? Who am I, Lord, that I have the promise of heaven? Who am I, Lord? And, and you know, by, the Bible says a pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When you, David received this spectacular gift, he, he didn't think it made him any greater in being king. In David's eyes, it made God greater. Think about that for a second. Let me say that again. When God uses us mightily, it doesn't make us greater. It just proves how great God is because we're all dumb sheep, Amen? God uses the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. So when God does something great through us, it just proves how great he is because we're not great at all. Amen? And David gets it. Lord, you're great. The fact that you took a sheep herder and you made me king, what an amazing God you are. Wow, Lord. And he praises the Lord. Now in the next several verses, we're going to see David use a title for himself ten times through the rest of the chapter, as he now starts to pray and seek out the Lord, and he's going to refer to himself as your servant ten times. Your servant, your servant, your servant. Throughout the rest of the chapter, he doesn't say you're magnanimous king. He doesn't say, you know, you're so fortunate that I'm on your side, God. He doesn't lay out and I slayed a giant and I defeated the Philistines and I no. I'm your servant. I'm your servant. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Amen? It just pops off the page. We just see his humility. Instead of seeking the praise of God, the praise of men, the greatest is being a servant. David has kept a great attitude, even though finding out, finding himself being exalted, it's easy to listen to what other people say about you. Amen? And and, and we say we don't like praise, but someone will praise you and go, I didn't quite hear you. You want to say that one more time? (laughs) Matter of fact, can we record that if we're going (laughs) to? And we we love the praise of men. We love our flesh being fed. And David instead humbly accepts God's no. Could have been angry. Not going to be allowed to build the temple. Just thankful that the Lord adopted him. Just thankful that he gets to serve him. Lord help us to respond the way David did when you said no. Amen? Amen. The next time the Lord says no, may we respond, may we not get angry, may we not, you know, be bitter, may we not question God, may we come humbly and broken before God. David, while flawed, called again, is called a manna for God's own heart. And doesn't it baffle you that David is called a manna for God's own heart? He was a murderer and an adulterer and a polygamist. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Amongst a list of other things. But you know what? He was a man for God's own heart because he repented. Because when he was convicted, he came humbly before the Lord. He was the greatest king of Israel, not because he slayed Goliath or won battles. And again, certainly not for being a polygamous adulterer or murderer, but because he was humble and had a humble heart before the Lord. Let's read on. And he says there, and yet this was a small thing in your sight, O God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree. O Lord God, you're you're talking about me. You're saying, I'm going to make you as great as any man on the earth. And he's saying, Lord. You're talking about me as being somebody who's who's great in the sight of this world? Oh Lord God. Verse 18, what more can David say to you? you? You for the honor of your servant. For you know your servant. You know everything about me, Lord, and you still love me. What a faithful God. Oh Lord, verse 19, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all the greatness and making known all these great things. See, he gives all the praise and all the glory and all the honor to the Lord and takes none of it for himself. And we need people who serve the God to do it in humility and to never seek the praise of men. Amen? Amen. You know how you'll know you're a servant? By how you respond when someone treats you like one. Amen? They appreciate me down there. I'm not doing that anymore. No one's told me how amazing I am in the last three weeks, so I'm out. I'm not doing it. Well, if you're looking for that, get to stepping. Amen? And Then he says in verse 20, we're out of time. Oh, Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you. Amen, 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 and amen. amen. should underline that. Next time a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon... Co- uh, let me show you right here in the Old Testament, one of thousands of verses. What does it say? Oh, Lord, there is none like you, and there isn't, there isn't any God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, one nation on the earth, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for yourself the name by great and awesome deeds, by driving out nations from before you, whom you redeemed from Egypt. He's going back in time. And remember, they're being. this is all being told to those children of Israel going back to Egypt. They're being reminded of all the awesome things that God has done. He remembers that he brought them out of Egypt. And David doesn't take credit credit for the victory over the Philistines. He gives God the glory for it. To all the things you did. That's our God. Can't praise him enough. Amen. Amen. Verse 22, for you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. He's our God. Amen? Amen. He's our savior. He's our king. Final point. So he comes humbly before the Lord. He gives all the praise and the glory. And then finally, he affirms God's promises. Look what he says. And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house is let it be established forever and do as you have said. Lord, I've heard what you've said. Your will be done. He doesn't tell God what he should do. He just says, Lord, you've told me what you're going to do. And thank you, Lord. Let your will be done. Your will be done, not mine. The promises you've made, I trust you. The promises that you've given to us as a people, children of Israel, you're going to make our nation great. We trust you. We believe you. Your will be done. Lord, we've seen the end of the book. We know that you're going to rule and reign for a thousand years upon the earth. We know that you're going to rapture your church and snatch us out of here before the righteous judgment comes. Lord, we believe your word. Let your will be done. Amen? That's the exhortation here. So let it be established that your name may be magnified. Verse 24, forever saying, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel is Israel's God. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray before you. And now, Lord, you are God and have promised the goodness to your servant now if you've been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue to be before you forever, for you have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. What a great way to pray, just to come back to the Lord and give back to him the promises he's given to us. Lord, we know what your word says. You know, when I pray those prayers, you know, when, and when I know we've all gone, we've had difficulties in, in the church and people have gone through struggles, but You know, believe me, I pray those prayers in regards to my son. Lord, you promised that if we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory. Lord, I know because your son died on the cross that I'm going to see my son again. See, those are promises in the Word of God, and I and I pray. And Lord, thank you for those promises. Amen. By the way, you won't know the promises of God if you don't read the Word of God. Amen. Amen. And that's why people panic and get concerned right now. And people are scared to death. God's on the throne. Our president, help. God's on the throne. Amen? Whatever's going on around us, our God is greater. And I'm actually excited when the world's a mess because God said it would be a mess as it was in the days of Noah when he comes back for us. So come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? So in closing, Live every day in light of God's promises. Seek godly counsel. When God says no, we should respond in faithful obedience and praise his name. Remember all that God has done for you and through you. Remember, you know, again, all that God has done and who you were and who you are now in Christ. Number four, God's faithfulness in the past assures us of God's promises in the future. Come humbly before the Lord. We don't make commands of him. We come humbly and broken before him. We praise his name and humbly affirm God's promises. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your word. We love you. We thank for, we're so thankful, Lord, that you're in control that you're on the throne, that your word is true, that your promises are sure. And we're thankful, Lord, for the promises you've made to us, that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved, that we have the promise of heaven, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you're interceding on our behalf and praying for us right now, and you're preparing a place for us. These are promises in your word, and we thank you for those promises, and we praise you for them, Lord. Lord, keep us humble, keep us broken, keep us desperate, keep us usable for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said...